my name is John Hendren. You're listening to Botcast. This is episode 53, and you've just heard Trevor Pinnock and the English Concert with one of Bach's double harpsichord concertos, BWV 1062. This is a concerto in C minor for two harpsichords and orchestra. And it is in three movements, fast, slow, fast, in the model of a Vivaldian Ripiano-style uh, Ripiano, uh, concerto, where it opens up with the main theme. And then it transposes itself. And we have a little bit of counterpoint. We have a... Uh, a counter melody or a counter subject in the in the bass, and right before I cut it off, we get the soloists that come in and present their version of it, uh, of the themes. Uh, Bach is sort of setting this up for duality. It's it's obvious in the beginning of the way he's writing that we're we're preparing ourselves for something with twos, and indeed this is a concerto for two soloists. Uh, we've got to put this piece into context. This is very likely an arrangement of an earlier piece that Bach wrote. And when we think of Bach and harpsichord concertos, we must go to his middle years in Leipzig where he took over the uh, directorship or responsibilities of the Collegium Musicum, uh, an enterprise that had been started by uh, his uh, more famous colleague, uh, George Philip or Jorg Philip Telemann, uh, who was one of the more prolific composers of the Baroque era, who w- was different in Bach in that he had a very formal education as a lawyer and uh, would go on to take really any post that he wanted. And so he uh, preceded Bach in uh, founding this enterprise in the city of Leipzig at the Zimmermann Coffee House. And the idea was that you took young musicians uh, who would play for entertainment. And uh, unlike what Bach was composing for the church, uh, some very elaborate vocal music with instrumental uh, accompaniment, uh, this was purely uh, either... Well, it wasn't always instrumental. They, they, there would have been, of course, um, vocal music as well. But when we think of Bach's collection of uh, his small collection that survives of instrumental music, uh, this is a venue that more than likely it was composed for or arranged for. And I say arranged because we have a def- different version of this, which I will uh, be very pleased to to play for you which is one of his violin concertos, the double violin concerto. So let's put this all into context. Uh, Bach, in the catalog, the BWV catalog, has only three violin concertos, the A minor, the E major, and then this double concerto. 
And if memory serves me correct, that the violin concerto is in D minor. This has been transposed down for the harpsichord version in C minor. So only three. Uh, and yet there have been arrangements of these made, and the belief is that maybe some of the other harpsichord concertos uh, were not original, but they were arrangements too, and we simply have lost their originals. Um, but this one's interesting because the, the thought would be that these were may have been composed in an earlier era of Bach's life, uh, preceding him coming to Leipzig. And then he's presented with uh, this very pragmatic need to provide music. And, of course, by this time he has sons that are capable of, of playing in a, uh, a concerted uh, environment. And so you can imagine maybe father and son or even two sons uh, being the soloists here. Uh, with other university or well-trained musicians uh, who are entertaining folks on a, on a Friday afternoon in a coffee house, very different setting uh, in Leipzig than than what we would see in the churches. Of course, in other cities there would be uh, there would be royal courts where music would be uh, enjoyed. And here is Johann Sebastian Bach, literally providing background music in a coffee house and as quaint as that sounds I mean if you put it in context this is some really profoundly enjoyable music and it was written or providing the entertainment for something very benign and of course I want to be a fly on the wall and have been in that coffee house of course I would have loved to have seen what uh, how people reacted to this music when they heard it for the first time or the second time. Uh, and of course, I would have loved uh, to have the opportunity to, you know, be a part of that milieu of, okay, here is this guy walking off the street. Oh, yeah, he looks familiar. He's from church. Uh, oh, and that's his son. Can I have a coffee? And we hear this music. Um, of course, the the forever um, present wish of many of us who love this music is to say, well, what would it have sounded like the first time? Would this have been the tempo? So I start with the Pinnock because, uh, well, for a couple reasons, it's it's a little slow. Da 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 dum bum bum bum. Uh, seems a little slow at the beginning, but when you when you consider later what happens with the harpsichord parts and your list of intricacy and the fact that they're not that loud and there's a lot of you know extra notes kind of inserted there to to make the sustaining power of the harpsichord uh, actually you know have some have some acoustical presence. Um, it's it's not a it's not a bad performance. Uh, these are the performances that I sort of entered this uh, this music with. Um, this is a recording I've owned for so many years. I have one of the the originals. You know, I didn't, I didn't buy the year it came out, but you you can consider maybe this was six, seven, eight years old by the time I got it. It was one of the original CDs on Deutsche Grammophon's archive production. 
Uh, we've got Trevor Pinnock, who is one of the soloists and the, and the, and the director. We have Simon Standage, Michele Comberti on violins. Uh, we have Anthony Pleath on cello. Uh, Amanda McDamara on double bass. I mean, they had a very consistent ensemble. They produced a lot of albums with a lot of good music, and it really set the stage for our expectations of what sort of a, uh, a second-generation, historically-informed uh, performance would be of this music. And um, it's interesting that we have not only this reading with the harpsichords, but next I'm going to play for you uh, Michaela Comberti on second violin, Simon Stange on first violin, their reading under the same directorship, Trevor Pinnock, of the double violin version of this concerto, which probably is the more uh, famous one. So Bach applies the uh, same formula here that he does in, in other concertos, presenting a theme, having some elaboration, and he is basically using the models of Vivaldi, we know. We know he knew Albanoni. We know he knew some other composers that he copied out the, the parts of those concertos, and we believe he did so primarily as, as a learning exercise. His, his approach here. Uh, which is a little more easily heard, uh, is to present the theme in one violin, have the second violin come in, uh, and have the other provide accompaniment. And then after a cadence, they sort of reverse the process and they switch order. And it's a very tightly woven type of approach. It's a little bit conservative, but it works because Bach, chooses an interesting theme to begin with. Um, 
And of course, if you've seen this concerto performed live or you go on YouTube and see people perform it, um, there is that synergy. The, the orchestra, by the time those soloists come in, those, the orchestra gets out of the way except for the bass line and are literally on their own, which can be very dramatic, uh, can be very enjoyable to watch. Uh, we lose some of that in the harpsichord version because, frankly, it's a little harder to hear uh, the presence of those instruments in a recording. Uh, it's a much more uh, satisfying enterprise, if you will, if it's in person. We actually see the people performing uh, where there is some actual interplay. Uh, I just feel that success-wise, if I'm going to judge one or the other, I like the violin version better because I think it just, uh, through the orchestration, it just it just works a little better. Uh, not to say that the musical ideas are any different. Uh, if you were to examine these uh, scores, uh, you would see that Bach makes some minute changes to the concertos. Um, he is filling out the writing a bit. Um, and in terms of the recording quality, yes, the English concert here under the direction of Trevor Pinnock does push the tempo a little bit for the viol the double violin version. Um, it's remarkable to me how these recordings have uh, sort of stood the test of time. Uh, I would not necessarily pull this out as the best recording that I have in my collection, yet the the recorded sound quality from this era of Deutsche Grammophon, uh, their archive production, uh, which is sort of a separate little enterprise doing these um, historically informed recordings with um, sort of up against their rivals on the Deca label Loiseau-Lier, uh, the Academy of Ancient Music and Christopher Hogwood, uh, I always thought that the sound quality, that the the polish that you got on these recordings was a little better on the uh, Pinnock side. And uh, it's remarkable how good the quality of the recording is over time. They, they really must have put a lot of effort and um, elbow grease into making these good. And I only wish that Every recording that came out today had the same amount of attention applied. That said, my criticism of the recordings of this era is that the harpsichord, especially in the second recording that you heard, the one with the violins, the harpsichord seems to really stick out in the mix. And it's not a huge problem. Trevor Pinnock, I think, is a really good continuo player. So he's he's missing notes or anything like that, but it's just slightly unrealistic. They've 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 sort of the balance there. They really wanted to emphasize that you heard that harpsichord. And uh, having gone to concerts and having heard recordings where uh, maybe there is not so much finesse given to micromanaging, uh, you know, ten or more microphones in in the production, uh, the harpsichord doesn't tend to stick out quite as much. Um, which is a flavor of the time. Despite that, it works, and it's uh, it's rhythmically motivated. Um, the sound and the, the shape, the, the dynamics to the orchestra seem to be well done. Um, and so that's a nice, for me, a reference recording. 
Uh, it's you can certainly go back earlier in time. We could go to a, a period where um, there's not so much a focus on Baroque instruments or a historically informed approach. But I, I think these are two great examples, and they come from the same orchestra, so they be, they uh, sort of naturally become a good counterpoint to one another. I'm going to also play for you from Pinnock, uh, from the violin version, which the BWV number there is 1043. We're going to hear the final movement, uh, which, uh, again, is a fast movement, uh, just to sort of acclimate yourself to the theme. Uh, each one of these movements is well-written. Um, there seems to be an emphasis, if I, if I would say so much, uh, I think between listeners today, they like they like the middle movement. It's a it's a wonderfully written uh, slow movement in a major mode. Uh, there's some there's an opportunity for over romanticizing the duet between the two violins. Um, and again, we can do it with harpsichords. To me, it's just not as moving as a piece of music. Uh, and that's not a jibe against harpsichords. I just don't think it's as successful as an arrangement. And that is why I think we would place chronologically the double violin version ahead of the double harpsichord version. And it seems to me that, uh, pragmatically speaking, with the with the job that I mentioned with Bach had in providing entertainment music, that it, it is a very conceivable idea that he took this wonderfully wrought concerto for two solo instruments, two very similar identical solo instruments, two violins, and made an arrangement for harpsichords. And uh, the rationale for that could simply be that they did not have as capable uh, a pair of violinists at the time, and knowing that that Bach is uh, an expert at the keyboard and he had access to other high-quality keyboard players that was a natural to do this. Um, I'm also not surprised, knowing Bach, that he would take the time and the effort to to rewrite something that he'd done before and to revisit it and to, to add polish to it. Uh, it is in line with a an aesthetic of the time, which was, okay, composing music's one thing, but the the real art is in the performance and the more opportunities you give me to try my hand at it uh, the more interesting the enterprise is because now Bach has a second time to write the same concerto and we shouldn't be surprised that he's elaborated in the writing because now he has a second chance to me that's very much in line with um, the way art and music was viewed and lived and celebrated during this time. So I'm going to stop talking and give you a little more uh, exposure to this music. So this is the third movement, the fast movement. This is performed uh, again by Simon Standage on first violin, Elizabeth Wilcock on second. The orchestra is the English concert under the direction of Trevor Pinnock. Thank you. 
what do we hear? There's there's that rhythmic drive. There's that da 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 da. Little short snippets that sort of propel the music. Um, it's music that you can tap your foot to. There's a bass line that uh, is is as active as what's on the top. Um, the one thing that's interesting about the recording is there is not a huge. Uh, there's not enough space around the soloists to easily differentiate what is tutti and what is solo. Uh, it all sort of mixes in there. And I think uh, you know, putting your reflective hat on, there's an opportunity there to, to help separate that. Visually, if you were to see this performed, it would be much easier because you would see the people. Um, and that is something that as more and more time goes on, I realize, um, and part of this is going to concerts, but also uh, watching performances on recordings, but that have video. Uh, so if you were to to look up on YouTube and type one of these BWV numbers in, 1043, 1062, um, you, you would start to to have the visual approach to this music, if you're if you've only been listening to it with your ears, uh, to watch it with with the visual component, uh, it helps. It, I mean, it helps your uh, your brain. It helps your senses focus in on something. And um, if I'm being completely honest, just listening to this by itself, it's a little little difficult to tell where those soloists begin and where the orchestra begins and um, those dynamics between there. That said, it's a reasonable performance. It's got a good tempo. Again, we've already highlighted some of the hallmarks of the recording. I'm going to now switch to uh, a more recent recording. This is, again, the violin version, BWV 1043 with Cafe Zimmerman. Uh, we've played them before. They did a collection of six CDs. Uh, basically highlighting Bach concertos. They embedded the Brandenburg concertos, and so what's kind of neat about these in terms of recital is they just didn't come out with a recording of the Brandenburg concertos. They came with volume one, two, three, four, five, and six. They covered Bach's orchestral suites and his solo and ensemble concertos. And so this is the version for violins.
preference in this one. Um, these are, uh, as we said, Cafe Zimmerman. Um, Pablo Valletti is the uh, conductor for the first clip, and then we transition to a second clip, an unannounced clip. But it is a later recording. Uh, it is only a couple years old. This is a recording of the Bach Violin Concertos by um, the Freiburger Baroque Orchestra. Uh, Freiburg Baroque Orchestra, uh, Petra Mulahans, uh, a soloist and also the, the director there. Um, a little surprising for me that they took um, the tempo differences there are somewhat dramatic. Um, and I am sort of a speed demon, and I, I sort of like the, the bounce that we get in the Cafe Zimmerman approach. Um, definitely, it, prov- it uh, prom- um, ha. it calls upon uh, more technical capability, more uh, you got to get the technical chops to uh, not only perform at that tempo, but the challenge becomes when the two parts are isolated along with the bass and have to play together. And I have to give kudos to uh, Pablo Valletti and his ensemble because I think they do so successfully. Uh, what I admire about the second recording, despite the tempo, which I wish was just pushed just a little bit, maybe not to the extreme that we heard with Cafe Zimmerman, but pushed a little bit. Um, what I do appreciate, though, is the the difference in the sound of the two soloists. There, There is a, a more definitive difference between the, the instrumentalists. Um, and I do not have the liner notes in front of me. But I appreciate the fact that uh, I can tell, even not using high-end equipment, that the soloists are different people, that they're on different instruments, the, the timbre of the instruments are different, um, which just opens up some, some real interest, I think. Again, on a harpsichord, you're probably not going to hear subtle differences like that. Uh, if they play nice with us in a recording, you'll, you'll get some stereo separation, which is nice, uh, which is only going to be enhanced with probably headphones. That's probably the easiest way to uh, to appreciate those differences. But again, as I've said, if you find a recording that, that has uh, video to it, that's going to help you just get the sense of, of what's there. How important is that? I'm not sure, but musically it is kind of important. Uh, if we were to, to look at the score and see what Bach is doing by trading the themes back and forth, uh, there is sort of this novelty of where the sound is coming from and who is on top and who, you know, who is leading and then who is following. Uh, and he, he, he does that in sort of a cat and mouse thing throughout both of these fast movements uh, as we have one chasing the other. Uh, it, it makes interesting music. It, it's a very similar technique, but applied with different notes and a different theme. And so, um, to me, that's some of the artistry here that Bach takes uh, a single big idea in a, a general sense and gets to apply it multiple times uh, and that it works and that there's sort of this drama that's built between the two instrumentalists because, and not that any one of these performances that you've heard is exploiting this, but there is the opportunity 
for improvisation and ornamentation so that while you are hearing the same basic theme moved around between the, the two instruments, the two soloists, what in fact you are hearing are different themes because they are ornamenting them in different ways. Or one is introducing an idea that the other one is then mandated to pick up. And that is where the real intrigue happens. It's, it's a social thing. Uh, and while we are definitely in 2018 uh, hearing performances that are more spontaneous, while you can go to concerts where these uh, performers who are uh, have a, a deep appreciation and a, a commitment to some of the historical uh, practices of performance, it's not in the recordings that we typically get the most interesting, uh, spine-tingling stuff. Uh, it's in a live performance where people think, you know, hey, I'm trying to recreate what was likely part of the performance practice at the time, and that is that we've got the same music, it's being inverted from one part to the other, and how do I make it interesting? Um, and so the recordings all, I think, leave us a little bit in want of some of that because... Um, they typically play play a little safe in the recordings. Now, I've been highlighting the outer movements, which to me are a lot of fun. I want you now to compare the merits of the middle movement, which, uh, again, high, high ratings from folks. They like this middle movement. It's one of Bach's, uh, it's, you know, Bach, I don't think wrote bad music, but if he, you know, if you're pulling out the best of the best, this is one of the more famous slow movements that Bach wrote. The slow movement for the double violin concerto, which then we get a version for harpsichords. Um, I'm going to now present you uh, with a rendition by a relatively new album for me. This is one that I, I picked up most recently. Uh, this is the the title of the album is. Bach, concertos for two, three, and four harpsichords. He wrote one for four. That's the, the transition uh, transcription rather of the Vivaldi um, four violin concerto from Les Romanico, Opus 3. Um, he wrote two, I believe, for three, and then he has several for two. And so this, uh, again, is BWV 1062, the ensemble is Musica Amphion, uh, and it is led by harpsichordist Peter Jean Belder.
I'm sorry. I think I think the performance is actually not bad. I have, I have no reservations with the performance. I have reservations with the composer. I know how awful that sounds. I'm criticizing Johann Sebastian Bach, but he's written this beautiful interplay of, of, of two parts that go back and forth. Uh, it, it's the same technique we get in the outer movements, but uh, it just it just it's beautiful music here. The harmonies that are at play, the uh, sort of the the regularity of the of the bass line, that pulse, and he is trying in in the score to uh, bring attention to the lines by adding ornamentation, and our performers are up to the task here, but. Uh, to me, it's it's just disappointing not knowing that we have this version for uh, two violins, which I think is just a little more successful. I'm going to give you uh, a little taste of something different. We've been listening to um, historically informed recordings of the concertos for harpsichord and for the two violins, and I'd like you to listen to this as a little bit of counterpoint. Uh, this, again, is the middle movement from this concerto. So this is an arrangement um, of this piece performed by a group that I've, I think I've highlighted before. It's called Red Priest. It's a chamber ensemble. It's not a full orchestra. Obviously, the, the two um, melodies are here performed by violin and recorder, uh, but it highlights for me what I think you need to hear as the listener of this. And whether it's enhanced by a really good audio system, whether it's enhanced by going to a real concert, uh, of course I always endorse people going to real concerts, or appreciating this piece by hearing it performed, uh, seeing people, I think brings out some of the artistry in this piece. Uh, I applaud Bach for recreating this. As as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I think it's part of... um, what it meant to be a performer, a composer, a musician in that era, uh, to to reinvent, to to take the old, to make new again, to make improvements. So you can't blame people today for wanting to do the same and arranging things and say, hey, what would that piece that's written for two of the same instruments sound like if we mixed it up a bit and uh, changed the, the color to it? And so... That's why I like groups like Red Priest. They're they're sort of on the the fringe of presenting something in in a very new light, new instrumentation, uh, exciting, uh, almost to the point of saying jazzy performances. Um, But I think, as I said many times over and over, this music seems to, uh, the music of Bach seems to well accustom for us to stretch it and to push it and to, uh, to play it at extreme tempos and to slow it down. The last uh, 
example I'm going to share with you in this episode is again from the violin version. Uh, would be my favorite uh, if I were to choose one or the other. Uh, and again, believing it's the original. I think these two performers do a really good job at uh, that playoff of, of who's in front and who's not. And not quite to the same level as the Freiburg Baroque Orchestra version, but there is a difference to their sound, and it has less to do with the instrument, more to their approach to playing the, to the instrument. Uh, and this is a recording that um, has been around for a little bit of time. It is the Academy of Ancient Music. Uh, this is probably their second recording of it. This is under the direction of Andrew Manzi, and his companion, his uh, second soloist, is Rachel Podger. And the second reason I want to choose this is because there is a video of them playing this concerto at the BBC Proms. And so I would invite you after listening to this podcast to seek it out because uh, you get to see Mr. Manzi and, and Miss Podger perform this live and you can visually appreciate uh, that, that social uh, interaction that I think this piece, probably more than a lot of Bach, uh, really makes a difference. And so we're going to end this podcast, listen to the Academy of Ancient Music, BWV 1043. This is the concert for two violins in D minor. And now you know there's a companion concerto in C minor for two harpsichords. And you know that me, your host, John Hendren, probably would prefer the violin version over the harpsichord version. But so be it. You're entitled to your opinion, too. Folks, I want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about uh, the podcast or you'd like to be informed of some new recordings and what they're all about and which ones maybe you should go out and seek and purchase or listen to, uh, check out my website. It's bieberfan.org, B-I-B-E-R-F-A-N. What is a Bieber fan? Well, in college, I thought, well, you know, a lot of people like Bach. There's this new guy in town named Heinrich Ignaz Franz von Bieber. And so I came up with that handle, and uh, I've been writing about music for a number of years now online as a fan of Bieber. And that's where you'll find the website Baroque Review, where I review recordings that are usually focused in the Baroque. I also go a little earlier sometimes to Renaissance. I also go later into Classical. Uh, That's my love for music, and I hope you learn something if you visit there and decide to read. It's also the home of BachCast, and this is our 53rd episodes, and if you haven't listened to the others, uh, the point of BachCast is to take a piece of uh, music by Johann Sebastian Bach, compare some different readings, recordings, and point out some of the differences, learn a little bit about the music, and have a little bit of fun at the same time. So thank you for listening, and here is our final clip. <laughs>